Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So let me add my own Happy Easter to you all. Yeah, today we celebrate an event. Um, and it is the event that changed the course of human history. It is the event that, that differentiates Christianity from any other religion. It is the one event on which all of our hopes and beliefs rest. It is the resurrection. And um, the reason that we celebrate it is because we believe that it absolutely transforms lives. Now, we know there are a lot of people who are skeptical, a lot of people who, are, who have doubts. And I just want to tell you, if you were one of those, you were in good company because even Jesus' first followers didn't believe it at first. It took a long time to convince them as well. Um, but a lot of skeptics have, prep, have kind of come up with a couple of different ways in which this might have happened. It wasn't really a resurrection. And some have said um, probably it was just an apparition, a ghost, that, that um, wishful thinking of, of delu- delusion disciples came up with. And that's what they saw. But it shows that there's accounts of Jesus eating with them and, and touching them and, 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 and all of that. So you got to think, how do you do that with a ghost? Um, others have said it wasn't really so much a resurrection as it was a resuscitation, that he didn't really fully die on the cross. He just kind of slipped into a coma or he fainted. And when he was in that cool cave and uh, tomb uh, with those spices, that that re- re- revived him, resuscitated him. And that's how he came out out of the cave. Um, on that occasion, though, you've got to ask yourself, how does somebody that beaten and that bloody, barely recovering from a coma, pushes a stone out of the way? It's a little tough. Um, some people have just said, you know what, it's an outright hoax. It's something his disciples made up to kind of perpetuate things and keep things going. But if that's the case, you got to ask yourself, to what end? Why perpetuate a hoax? Because they certainly didn't profit from it at all. In fact, if anything, they suffered because of it. Most of them lost their lives in excruciating ways. Why would somebody lose their life over a hoax? Yeah, they didn't believe it at first. But they came to believe it. One thing, by the way, you may not have realized this, but um, when Jesus resurrected from the dead, he did not immediately ascend to heaven. By the biblical accounts, he actually hung around for about 40 days following the resurrection in which he had numerous encounters with a number of his different disciples. In fact, we're going to look at one of those today. But the idea that I want to get across is that Christianity, the Christian faith, is not based on a moral philosophy or a set of ethical teachings, although Jesus gave us those. And it's not based on wishful thinking of delusional disciples or a bad autopsy report. It is based on this event that we celebrate today. But the event is not the end. It is the beginning. It is what made the difference for millions and millions of peoples up to this very day. And so today we're going to take a look at it, and we're actually kind of wrapping up the Freeway series, and if you haven't been here over the last six weeks, that's okay, because it all culminates in this, what we talk about today, when we talk about freedom, because the resurrection is really all about freedom, resurrection power at work in our lives. For the last six weeks, we've been talking about how to get past your past, and how to overcome those hurts, or, or how to deal with your struggles, or those sticking points in your life, where you just seem to be stuck and not be able to move forward. Maybe it was a hurt and something that you've never been able to recover from. Whatever it might be. That's what this whole series is about. And it culminates with this resurrection because it's in the resurrection that we find that freedom, that power that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. So if you want to turn with me, we're going to be in John's gospel. It's actually the very end of his gospel, chapter 21. 
And I'll kind of bring you up to speed. This is about two or three weeks after Jesus' resurrection. And, and Jesus is not there. It's Peter and a few of the other disciples, not all 12, just a few of them. There's a handful of them together. And they've gathered together. And it's in John 21, beginning in verse 2, we, we read this. That Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And thank you so much for asking. No, that part's not in there. Um, He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. He swam to shore, leaving the other disciples there to haul in the net and get their way to shore. Nice guy, I know. So um, they get to shore, and actually Jesus has prepared breakfast for them. So they gather around, and he he feeds them this breakfast. And when they come to the end of the meal, we're we're skipping down to verse 15. That when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to them, said to him, follow me. That account, that story is a real life picture of what we've been talking about for the last number of weeks. Because in that encounter with Peter, Jesus did some very important things that brought Peter past his faults, his failures, his mistakes, and all that other stuff, and brought him into freedom. And that's what I want to talk about today, the the power of the resurrection to free you. Whatever is a sticking point for you, whatever your past, whatever regrets, whatever hurts, whatever it might be, there is freedom for you today. And it's all found in the way that Jesus came and dealt with Peter. And so here's what I want to talk about, this whole idea of resurrection freedom. And here's where the resurrection comes into play, because resurrection freedom promises this, that there is a release from our past regrets. Regrets can chain us to our past. They're kind of like an anchor chain around our neck that just keeps pulling us down, keeps, keeps pulling us out of where we want to go, that we just seem so stuck in and so under the water because of it. And we have this, um, uh, this mixtape, as, as Mike uh, Foster talked about a couple of weeks ago, that just plays in our head with all of those regrets, those, those things that go on in our mind, like, who do you think you are? After what you've done? You're a hopeless case. 
See, I think those are the thoughts that have been rattling around in Peter's brain for the last two or three weeks. Jesus has been resurrected. They've seen it now. He's proven it to them. But Peter's not sure where he stands anymore because there's this tape that's playing inside of his head. And it keeps saying those kinds of things like, you loser. After what you did, there's no hope for you. Who do you think you are? Damaged goods. That's what you are. There's no future for you. I think that's what's playing in his head when he turns to the other disciples and he says, I'm going fishing. Now, here's why I believe that. Because Peter had blown it big time. What you got to know about Peter is Peter was kind of, he was one of the hand-picked. In fact, he was a first-round draft choice by Jesus when it came to the disciples. He was one of the very first, and he was, he was in that inner group of three, Peter, James, and John, who spent more time with Jesus than all the other disciples that, that got a chance to be in on some of the inner workings of, of what Jesus was doing that the other disciples didn't get to experience. He was being groomed for leadership. In fact, Jesus had told him, you are a rock, and on that rock, I'm going to build my church. And Peter was anything but a rock. He had made all kinds of great declarations. He was one of the first disciples to be able to recognize Jesus as Messiah and said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. He was the one when others were starting to walk away, turned to Jesus and said, where else would we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. It was Peter who was being groomed for leadership. And when Jesus had even warned him ahead of time that before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you are going to deny me three times. Peter said these words. He said, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Even if I have to die with you, I will never, never disown you. Evidently, he never heard that saying, never say never. (laughs) Because he did. Not once. Not twice, but three times. And that's why he's feeling like a failure. Because for him, as far as he's concerned, there's no hope for him anymore. There's no time with Jesus. He had blown it so bad, even though Jesus had warned him. It's like, how worse can it be? I got no future with Jesus. I got no future as a disciple. I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to fish. Fortunately, he had a group of friends who didn't let him go off by himself. They all said, we'll go with you. But here's the thing. Jesus comes to him right where he's at. And here's what I want to leave with you. It's one of the things I want to leave, want you to take. Don't let your regrets define you. Don't let them be the thing that keeps you from moving forward in your life and in your faith, in your relationship with God. Because Jesus always meets us even in our point of failure. What's interesting is that Jesus goes out. It says, early the next morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but his disciples did not know who he was. They've been out all night. They've been fishing all night, caught nothing. And Jesus goes to where they are at. He goes to where Peter is at. By the way, that is the very same seashore that three years beforehand, Peter had first met Jesus when Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And Jesus meets him on that very same beach. And what he's saying to him is, you're not washed up. Your regrets, they don't, de- they don't define you. There is a resurrection power that frees us. And it doesn't matter where you're at or however you got there. And it doesn't matter whether you've drifted far from God or, or you've just been stuck in a place or maybe are hurt or whatever it might be. I want you to know Don't let your regrets define you because the resurrection says there is a release and a freedom from those regrets. 
But not just that. Not just that. The resurrection freedom also promises us that there's a redemption even for our greatest failures. So Jesus meets with him. And what he does is he doesn't just forgive him. He actually redeems him. And for this to happen, there's this very important step we talked about a couple of weeks ago of taking ownership. And Jesus has to kind of walk him through the process. So it says when, Jesus was, when they were finished eating that Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Now that's the key question. That's the only question that really, really matters. By the way, that is never the question my parents asked me when I was in trouble. You know, the questions I always got were, what do you think you were doing? <laughs> Have you learned your lesson? Are you going to try and do better next time? But Jesus doesn't use any of those things. He just asks him one question. Do you love me? By the way, if you're a young parent, that might be a good one. Just try on your kids sometime. Do you love me? Because really, that's all that matters. And what Jesus does is he asks him that. And Peter gets the chance to say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But Jesus doesn't leave it at that. He actually asks him a second time and even a third time. And it says Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Why? Because he knows what Jesus is getting at. What is Jesus doing? Is he trying to rub it in? Is he really making sure he feels bad about what he did? I don't think so. I think what he's doing is he is giving Peter the opportunity for every time that he had denied Jesus, he gets a chance to affirm his love for Jesus. He gives him the opportunity to affirm it over and over and again. And as many times as he denied, he's able now to say, no, Lord, I do love you. And one more thing comes with that, that Jesus then for each one of those denials and each one of those, Lord, you know, I love you. He says this. He says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. And here's the point. God can redeem even your greatest failures to become your greatest calling. God can take your greatest weaknesses and redeem them in such a way that they become your greatest asset. See, in a sense, you could say Peter's failure was essential to what he was going to be doing for the rest of his life. Because this disciple who was brash and impetuous and judgmental and thought he knew all the answers, suddenly because of his own failure, as Jesus restores him, now becomes humble, understanding, and compassionate of others in their failures. And I don't think that would have happened had he not gone through his own failure. And that's what Jesus does. See, he takes our weaknesses, he takes our failures, and he redeems them. And he can take the biggest mistake you ever made or the biggest regret that you carry or the biggest hurt that you ever experienced, and he can redeem it in such a way that it can become your greatest calling, your greatest asset, and your strongest strength. That only Jesus can do that. That's what resurrection power is all about. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's restoring. He's not just forgiving him. He's restoring him and redeeming him and calling him once again to the ministry that he originally called him to. And Renauen talks about it this way. He talks about us as being wounded healers. And that's what we are as Christ followers. In our own wounding, in our own healing process, in our own freedom process, we share that with others. In fact, God rescued us to become rescuers 
Some of you might be familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous. Some of you may be very familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous and 12-step recovery programs. You might know that it was started by a man named Bill W. Bill W. um, was an alcoholic, and he became part of a group called the Oxford Group. Um, It was a group associated with Calvary uh, Episcopal Church in New York City. And it was in that group that it wasn't actually a recovery group. It was a discipleship group. But it was in that group that he found sobriety. It was in that group that he found healing. It was in that group that he found a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that began a recovery process in his own life. They didn't have 12 steps back then. I think they had about six of them. But he went through this process. And through his relationship with God and through that, he found sobriety. And he found that freedom. But he found himself at a place in his life. Um, he was a businessman. And, and he actually had a business opportunity in Akron, Ohio. And it was one of those things that if he could seal this deal, he was going to be set for life. He and his family were going to be taken care of. Everything was going to work out. And he went to Akron on this business trip. He went and met and the deal fell through. And he found himself in the lobby of the Mayflower Hotel in Akron, Ohio, defeated, dejected, depressed. And at the other end of that lobby was a bar. And in his state of absolute defeatedness, he sees the bar and the thought comes to his mind, oh God, I'm going to go back to alcohol. I'm going to go back into that life that I don't want to go back into. And he was so desperate and didn't know what to do. And then another thought came to him. I got to find another alcoholic. I got to find another drunk. And so he, he went through and, and doing uh, telephone calls and trying to get... He connected up with a guy, um, a surgeon named Robert Smith, who came to be known as Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob was an alcoholic. He was not in recovery, but he had been an occasional attender of an Oxford group. And, and, and he got this call from Bill W. And, and, he, and, he, and, he, and just to appease his wife, he said, okay, I'll go and meet with this guy, but I'll be back in 15 minutes. I'm not going to give him much time, but he's desperate, so I'm going to go. He went, and for the next five hours, Bill W. poured out his heart and told his story from beginning to end and how alcohol had almost destroyed his marriage, destroyed his business, destroyed his life, and that he was about to let it destroy him all over again. He knew if he started down that path again, he was going to be dead. Now, here's what you need to understand. He did not contact Dr. Bob to rescue Dr. Bob. He contacted Dr. Bob so that he would be rescued. And there's a principle there. And it's the very same principle that Jesus is working with Peter. That a part of our healing process is sharing that process with somebody else. The 12th step, for those of you who don't know it, is this. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we seek to carry this message to others. Why? Because what Bill W. and Dr. Bob discovered that day, and it became one of the founding principles of the 12-step program, was that healing always has to involve the healing of somebody else. That my healing is not complete unless I help someone else find healing. That there is something about getting outside myself and my desires and my, my passions and helping somebody else that actually, actually changes me. And that's what Jesus is doing with Peter. Your greatest failure, Peter, is going to become your highest calling. Put together a little bit of a list. 
I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. Not, we'll just wait till I go through the whole list. If any of these apply to you, okay? If you've ever struggled with worries or anxiety, if you have trouble with guilt and shame, anger or a bad temper, if you've gone through a time of grief, if you experienced stress or burnout, low self-esteem, disappointment, regrets, loneliness, addictions, habits, despair, depression, bitterness and resentment, marriage problems, financial problems or business problems, if you've ever, because of your relationship with Christ, found forgiveness and a fresh start, a faith to face your fears, a church family that supports you, and a sense of hope and freedom from your past. If any of those apply to you, would you raise your hand? Yeah. What if, what if, what if God wants to leverage your weakness to help somebody else? What if God wants to take your greatest struggle and leverage it to rescue somebody else? What if God wants to take that hurt of yours and leverage it to bring healing to somebody else? See, that's the point of the resurrection. It's not just about our freedom. It's carrying that message as well to others who need that same freedom. You know, if you've been around here for any length of time, um, I talk a lot about my weaknesses and, and my failures and my struggles and my disappointments and my hurt. I talk about those things a lot. I talk about those much more than my success. You know why? Because I got a lot more of those to talk about than I do of my successes. <laughs> but here's the other reason. What I have found over my years of pastoral ministry is when I get honest about my own struggles and my own hurts and my own weaknesses, my own failures... I see a lot of nodding heads saying, yeah, me too, me too. And that's why we say around here that we want to be a community of grace and that none of us has it all together. We're all people in process, but we're all learning and growing together in this resurrection power of Jesus Christ. So he not only frees us from our past regrets and, and, and not only redeems our greatest failures, but there's one more thing. The resurrection freedom promises the strength to face any tomorrow. There's something about the future. The freedom from our past, yes, and, and, and dealing with our current situation, yes, but also the strength for our future. Jesus doesn't promise a happily ever after. In fact, you find he does something much more realistic. He says to him at the very end, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. When you're old, others will direct you and take you where you don't want to go, indicating to Peter the type of death he was going to experience. But then he said to him, follow me. Follow me. I'm not promising you a rose garden. I'm not promising you it's going to get easier. I'm just telling you, follow me anyway. Because here's the thing. This freedom process, this resurrection power, it's not a one and done deal in our lives you will find throughout your life, you will constantly come up against more struggles and you will suffer more disappointments and you will continue to get hurt. And yes, you will even find yourself failing from time to time. But the resurrection says that is never the end of the story. That your failures, your hurts, your struggles, your sin, death itself does not win. The resurrection power says that there is a strength to pick up wherever you are at and move forward and that's what jesus is telling peter and and here's the thing he works uniquely in every single life 
Sometimes I have people say to me, you know, how come, how come it seems to come so much easier to other people than it does to me? How come other people don't seem to have the same struggles that I have? How come faith seems to be such a battle sometimes for me? How come overcoming this kind of stuff and these stuck places and forgiveness and all that stuff, how come it seems to be so much easier for other people than it is for me? And I want to tell you, everybody in this room, your story is exactly like somebody else's. Your struggle may not be the same. Your hurt may not be the same. Your failure may not be the same. But everybody struggles. The resurrection says the struggle and the failure doesn't get the last word. Doesn't get the last word. That there is a hope for any tomorrow. And if you ever have asked yourself that question, you're asking the very same question that Peter asked. Because that's what happens at the end of the story. We didn't read it. But at the very, very end of this, as they're finishing that conversation, and Jesus restores him completely and tells him about the death he's going to experience, he turns around and he sees that John, the other disciple, is behind him. And so he turns and he points to John. He says, what about him, Lord? What's going to happen with him? How come I got to go through this? What about him? And Jesus answers him with these words. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. It's the witty principle. W-I-T-T-Y. What is that to you? And if you find yourself saying, how come nobody else struggles like I do? Jesus is going to say to you the same thing he said to Peter. What is that to you? You follow me. Your story is unique. Your story is different than anybody else's. But it's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that unites all of our stories in freedom. John Ortberg put it this way. God made you to flourish, to receive life from outside yourself, to create vitality within yourself, and to produce blessing beyond yourself. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.